Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Welcome to Getting Fresh with Fruit Bowl. I'm the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. For season four, these Getting Fresh episodes will feature informal updates with Fruit Bowl interviewees whose featured interviews are more than a year old. This just gives them an opportunity to update us on what's been going on in their lives since the original interview was recorded. In this episode, we will be hearing my conversation with Justin, who was originally interviewed in July of 2019, which feels like a million years ago. We cover some really fun topics, including his new role as a sir and his adventures in Fort Lauderdale at a pig week function and also an update on his relationship with his husband and how that has evolved during the pandemic right up until just recently. But first, I'm excited to share with you our first listener submission. This is another new feature I'm trying out in an effort to provide a platform for those of you who want to contribute who I can't actually physically get to right away for a formal sit-down interview, or maybe you just want to share a brief story. It's up to you. All you have to do is record yourself using your voice memo app on your phone, and then just email it to me at dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com, and I will make sure your story is preserved in the Fruit Bowl archive. You can also record video of yourself uh, telling the story, but if you do that, we will need to coordinate some kind of Dropbox transfer of some kind because emailing me a video file, it often compresses the the files so much that it really compromises the sound. So either way, just email me and we will figure out the best way to get the most optimal uh, sound out of your file. Okay, this first listener submission comes from my friend Jason, who was also the very first person featured in the very first episode of Fruit Bowl in season one. Take a listen. Hey there, I just wanted to jump in here and uh, tell you a story about uh, something happening back in Dallas, because I thought it was kind of fun. Maybe 10 years ago when I lived in Dallas, I was uh, walking through the Roundup. It's a country western uh, gay bar. I'm about to head out. It's probably one o'clock uh, at night, and uh, I saw a group of friends. There were probably six of them there, um, and I knew two. And we were chatting. They introduced me to the rest. Jason, this is Peter. This is Alan. This is Tom, and the fourth guy, super cute, preppy boy, jeans, white starched button-down shirt, looked like a I don't know, college frat boy. 
uh, jumped in front of the others and just introduced himself as Bottom. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bottom, and uh, uh, that piqued my interest. Uh, <laughs> so I kept chatting with them and uh, looking at him, and as uh, I was talking, he came up beside me and whispered in my ear that he was serious. Uh, he was a Bottom, and he wanted to leave with me. <laughs> so, um, you know, who am I to say no? Uh, we go to my car, my truck, actually, and uh, I'm going to take them to my house, which is north of uh, Oaklawn. So we're driving towards the highway, and uh, I look over, and he's gotten himself completely naked in the cab of my truck within, like, five minutes of being in the car. Uh, and he looked really, really good. Um, so I get to turn on the highway to go north, my house, he says that he wants to get fucked in a cornfield, <laughs> which is great, but we live in Dallas, and I don't know where a cornfield is, and there's certainly not one anywhere near my house, um, so I say, well, we should go to my place, because it is, you know, a house, and it's closer, and he said, no, I just really, I need to be fucked outside in a cornfield tonight, <laughs> so uh, he told me to go south on the highway, we drive, and we drive, maybe 25 minutes south of Dallas, get off at this exit, take this road, take this weird dirt path, and into a clearing that's been hollowed out inside of a corn and no one can see the truck. We have a clearing, and we're completely surrounded by corn. So as soon as we parked, of course, like we started making out, we had um, really hot sex in the front seat cab of my truck. Um, he gets out of the car completely naked, gets in the bed of my truck. We had sex for hours that night. Inside the truck, uh, in the, on the hood of the truck, in the bed of the truck, on the ground. Uh, I needed to take a leak. He wanted to be coated in <laughs> piss, so he laid down on the ground, and I uh, pissed all over him, and that was pretty exciting. It was so much fun. It was one of the hottest nights. And uh, just being out there under the stars, feeling pretty safe because we were pretty secluded. Uh, I, had, I had such a good time. So much so that, um, <laughs> that as we uh, as we were finishing up, the sun started to come up. And um, we were completely naked. Got into my truck completely naked. Um, drove all the way home, 30, 45 minutes back to my house as the sun was rising. Uh, naked. <laughs> and, um, Got home, jumped out of the car, ran up to the front door uh, through the yard. And as uh, we're coming inside, my boyfriend at the time, uh, we were in an open relationship, was coming downstairs, uh, I guess, to get breakfast. And he sees me completely naked with this very cute boy <laughs> at the front door, who was also um, without clothes. And I introduced them to each other, and I told my boyfriend that, um, hey, this guy probably needs a little nap. We were up kind of late last night, so why don't you uh, go tuck him in? Boyfriend took him upstairs, spent the morning having fun with him. I made them breakfast. Um, it was a it was a very good time. <laughs> and it hasn't been repeated yet. I, I could never find that place again if I tried. Thank you, Jason, for that amazing story. I really want some corn right now. 
Fruitbowl listener submissions should be real-life experiences about anything you want, so no fiction. Oh, and please keep submissions under five minutes. If you need some inspiration for a topic, I suggest describing a memorable hookup with maybe a unique person in a different kind of place. So send in your story now. Okay, now for the main event. My recent conversation with Justin, whose original interview from July of 2019 was featured in the first episode of season four. Now, the beginning of this conversation is a little awkward sounding because I originally thought that I would include this follow-up in Justin's main episode, but it ended up just being too long, and I thought it would be more fun to just feature it in its own Getting Fresh episode. All right, here's my conversation with Justin, which was recorded in January of 2022. And we are here with Justin. I, I am infinitely more mature and wise than <laughs> I was. I think I was one of the first ones you did, to be honest. Remember, you were just starting it off. I was. I mean, I I formally started it in the summer of 2018, but it was only until a year later that I really started to understand what the project was and what I had to do in order to get the kinds of interviews I needed. But I know it was early in the process because when I had you introduce yourself, you only said your name and age. And now when I ask people, I ask them to say their name, their age, and what year they graduated high school. <laughs> mm, nice, so what, nice. what year did you graduate high school? Uh, 1989. Okay. I just like to ask that because it, it gives people an idea of where you, you were at when in, at the peak of your coming of age years. So I'm going to just jump into it. Uh, this is going to be a fun sort of update. What, what I wanted, wanted you to do right now is just sort of g- just give us a snapshot of your life, um, what you've done since July of 2019 and, and, and how things are different. Yeah. So um, one thing I should actually start I wanted to start off with was just to say, you know, it's interesting listening back on this, um, which was, as you, as you mentioned, made a few years ago. Um, and a choice of words I used um, when I was describing uh, my husband's boy, uh, the daddy boy relationship, um, relationships and his boys. And I mentioned them as, as, as projects that he had. And I, that was glib. That was like not the right, uh, wording, um, because these relationships, um, you know, I, I was uh, referring to the idea of him sort of training them. And, that, you know, of course, that there is a sort of sexual role play um, element to daddy boy relationships in which, you know, that there was a sort of training and mentoring process with the daddy and the boy. And that's part of the fun of it. And but they're also emotionally rich and romantic relationships in their own right. And so I don't mean to I didn't mean to sort of make light of that. So I, I, I wanted to sort of correct that. But I will say that he has actually, he's not uh, involved with his, those boys anymore. And he has now actually has a sir. So he is now in the, in the um, more submissive role of a, of a power dynamic relationship. Okay, so interesting. He's sort of switched roles. Yeah, which is really fascinating. And um, it's also, since now he's back to being able to bottom again, because um, he had gone through this phase when he really clicked into being a daddy, that he just, he has... His whole climate closed up. <laughs> um, you know, he just didn't want to get fucked, and um, 
and it really was very physical. Like he just, it, it didn't feel good to him for a while. And, and that's switched around now, now that he's also again, involved with this sir, but it, but it's, it's sort of uh, reconnected us sexually as well. So um, we're fucking a lot more than we were um, when I talked to you last. When you're fucking, you're, you're fucking him. Yes. Initially, I was um, an exclusive top, and he was versatile, and so I would fuck him. That's when you first met. Yeah, for the first 16 years of our relationship. And then he, again, clicked into the sort of daddy role and went and became an exclusive top for a while. But now he's reconnected again with his bottom side. And so— So you've kind of come full circle. Yeah. I love that. Which is really interesting. Um uh, I, on my own journey, continue to explore my versatility. So I've gotten, I think, better and better at being versatile. Um, so um, I've been uh, sort of trying to make up for lost time with my own bottoming. With with uh, with other partners? Yes, yes. And and are those partners ones that are recurring uh, characters or? Uh, it's a mixture. Um, I'm definitely in a in a slutty phase of my life. Um, and so, for example, I just went to Pig Week in Fort Lauderdale, and that was oh, wow! I got a lot of cock up there. <laughs> I mean, I also fucked a lot. I mean, I just I love being able to be versatile and um, do both. Uh, it's been really pretty wonderful, um, and I'm a little bit pissed off at myself for not having figured that out earlier. The versatility, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it does open up new horizons. Yeah, especially when you go to something like Pig Week. Mm-hmm. You get twice as much action because you're you've got both roles going for you. Pretty much, and you can be the meat <laughs> in the center of the sandwich, which is nice because you can get fucked and fuck at the same time. Can I just say that that is one of my goals? Um, maybe in the next year is to really dive into that fantasy. That to me is like really hard to attain because you have to perform both roles simultaneously. Just logistically speaking, I think it might be hard for people to do that. What, what's your secret in order to pull that off? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's not easy, as you said. Like, it, um, uh, oftentimes guys have a hard time, have a difficult time staying hard while they're being fucked, right? Um, and that can happen to me as well at times. Uh, not always. So it, it's just sort of, I don't even know what if there's any magical ingredient. But usually what I try to do is, I, I want to fuck first, so... I, you know, uh, climb on top of the, uh, of the bottom and I will, you know, fuck him for a while and really sort of get going, get hard, just be kind of in that space. And then I can have someone come in behind me and put their cock up my ass. Um, if they try to do it too soon, as I'm still kind of getting into fucking, um, it'll kill my heart on. Um, you have to get into the rhythm. You got to get into the rhythm. You got to like be hard, be inside, be like doing your thing and very firmly there. Um, before I can imagine, you know, uh, another cock going in my ass. Um, and, and what's what's the preferred positions on either side? Like, is it easier for you to fuck the bottom if he's on his back? For me, in that situation, it's easier just to do the bottom um, ass up uh, and then me behind him and then another guy gets behind me. Um, so, so a train, a train sort of, uh, so we're all facing the same direction. So you're fucking the guy from behind doggy style. Right. And then the other guy comes behind you and fucks you from behind doggy style. Yeah. yeah. I think there are other ways to do it with a sling, for example, where you can sort of, the, the problem with that, with that, um, scenario is that there's too many legs. Yes. And, and just the, all the legs, the three pairs of legs just kind of lie on top of each other. 
I will say that the one time this worked really well, probably the best, I, uh, I was I was the top in the scenario, um, uh, not the one in the middle. But um, the one the guy in the middle um, had was an Iraqi vet that only had one leg. Oh wow! And so that gave us a little bit of extra room. So I was able to get my other leg in there and really go to town. So that was probably, I mean, not to you know sound exploitative about someone's disability, but it was really helpful that this person didn't have a leg. Wow. Um, I have, I also think maybe it, it could work if the the bottom you're fucking is on their back and yes. like maybe on the side of the bed and you're yes. standing up and then the the other yes the guy fucking you could be standing behind you. That's the only other. And actually, I think that would probably be better. It would certainly be better in terms of the the problem of the legs. Yes. Legs. I often find, for whatever reason, I find it generally easier to fuck doggy style. So in terms of keeping my own boner, um, it's often a little bit easier to have him the the bottom, you know, face down. I think that's true for me too. Yeah, but it just sort of, you know, you just got to play it by ear. Um, and then I would say the other thing I would say is in terms of the train, if you really want to make it work um, as the, the meat in the middle of the sandwich, you've got to set the tempo. Because what's what will often happen is that the top wants to sort of set the tempo and be and fuck and start fucking. But then you're sort of both people below him um, are sort of at his mercy in terms of tempo, right? So what ends up happening, it can feel great. Don't get me wrong. It feels great. But um, what ends up happening if I'm the meat in the middle of the sandwich is that I will go soft at some point um, it, because I'm not moving my own dick. I'm not fucking. Um, I'm, I'm just being fucked and my cock just happens to be in someone's ass. Um, whereas if I can be the middle where I'm controlling the movement and I am both fucking and then, so I'm thrusting forward at, with a fuck. And then when I thrust back, I'm getting fucked and then boom, boom, back and forth, boom, 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 boom. Um, and basically the top and the bottom are sort of stationary objects to a certain extent. That's actually the way to get to it. it the, the only, the once or twice I've been able to actually get off in that situation is I have to be doing that. I have to control the motion. Yeah. Cause then your mind can kind of create its mm -hmm. own rhythm and mm -hmm. you can kind of, yeah, get into the zone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very instructive and <laughs> I'm going to definitely give it a try. Good. So, so these partners that you've had outside of your relationship with your husband, mm -hmm. how do you find these players? Some of it's just very, very casual, like, you know, fucking in the, in the gym shower. You know? More one-offs. Yeah, just sort of, you know, random, like, to, you know, going to a sex party or, or you know, just doing it that way and just being very, you know, uh, consciously going for it. Um, and then others are just, like, um, uh, more, you know, friends with benefits and uh, and such. So, and right now I'm, I've also just started into a bit of a daddy-boy relationship myself as the daddy, um, and which I... You know, I, uh, as I said before in the podcast, um, I don't gravitate towards secondary relationships in the way that my husband does. I'm much more of the person who will want to have, you know, casual um, sex with, you know, um, friends with benefits, with casual partners and with strangers at sex parties and wherever. Like, I'm just, I like to be sort of generally slutty. But I, I have, there's a guy now that, that I've known for, you know, many, many years, for at least 20 years. And um, we, so we've, we know each other already as friends really well. And um, so now I've been having sex with him again, and it feels a little different. Like there's a little more of a bond there. And so we've been, he's been calling me daddy and, 
it, it's still fairly casual, but it, it's different than just a friendship. And so um, I am interested to see where that goes. Um, or if it goes anywhere, it might just sort of remain in this sort of lovely stasis. Um, uh, it's not new because I tried this before. I think I mentioned in the interview, uh, I tried this before for a couple of years and it didn't go particularly well. Um, and this, but this, this guy is someone I really know and um, um, I, I feel much more comfortable with it. And is he a little older? No, he's my age. He's, you know, pretty, pretty much exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I just love how open you are to shifting and evolving and changing and circling back and trying things again. I feel like I can't learn that lesson enough um, that we are in a constant state of change and what was okay for us even a month ago or a week ago may not be okay now. Maybe we want to try something new. I mean, I was almost exclusively a top for the entire pandemic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I've got that role locked down. I'm, I'm okay at it mm-hmm. from having practiced so much. <laughs> <laughs> practice makes, if not perfect, it's always a journey, but practice makes better and better and better. Nothing is static. Yeah. Everything is constantly changing and evolving and, and growing. And that includes our sexual beings, of course. Um, and I, I think a lot, oftentimes when people get into relationships, they, I mean, the whole sort of paradigm that we're supposed to um, aspire to, which is this, you know, happily ever, ever after you get into a monogamous relationship for the rest of your life um, sort of thing is just intrinsically like that's not. Uh, how humans work. I mean, uh, both of those people in that relationship will change over time and they will change sexually as well as in every other way, emotionally. And, um, and so the relationship between those two people will change necessarily. Um, and you sort of hope that as you, the two people are changing or three people or however many are in the relationship, as they are changing, um, the bond between them will continue to sort of uh, change and evolve in ways that still keep them connected but those con- that connection will be different. It has to be. And it might actually lessen or it might get stronger. And, that's, and, and it might then go through iterations and sort of cycles of this. Um, and uh, in terms of what that means in my own life, uh, I'm still, you know, uh, my, so my husband and I are now fucking again. So we weren't fucking for a couple of years and now we're fucking again. And it's great. <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't know back when we weren't fucking whether he was going to stay an exclusive top and whether I wasn't going to be able to to really bottom for him properly. And like, I, I didn't know, I didn't know whether we were going to be able to fuck again, but, but I, you know, our relationship was still dynamic and vibrant and loving. And even if it was different than it was, you know, earlier on in our relationship, um, it was still something that was powerful and it still remains that. And um, I think we have a very good chance to sort of stay together for the rest of our lives. Uh, and of course our relationship will continue to evolve and change over time as we do, but we get a lot from each other, uh, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, uh, practically, um, and that will continue to evolve, but I don't see it falling apart. Just out of curiosity, what do you think inspired the shift back to fucking? I know sometimes it's a little ephemeral and unknowable. To be perfectly honest, I think it was more of a a change on his part because he realized he could, he was going back to being fucked again. Okay. Um, and he did that first with his sir. I was a little bit frustrated with him because he started exploring getting fucked again with his sir and didn't tell me right away, mm-hmm. but he eventually did and eventually was able to come back to me about with getting fucked. And um, we sort of settled back into some of our own, some of our old sexual practices, but it is different. And, 
it's been great. <laughs> it's been really nice to be able to fuck him again. So it was like a result of his going into that role in another relationship and then coming back around with, with doing it with you. See, and I feel like that's another example of how non-monogamy can also make positive contributions to primary relationships. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that his explorations and his secondary relationships also prompted the change to being an exclusive top, Mm -hmm. you know, because he again, clicked into daddy mode, but, um, you know, I think the secondary relationships in people's lives um, affect the the primary ones. They have to. Um, they can't be completely divorced from each other um, because you're growing as a human being. Yeah, it's hard to compartmentalize like that. I, and I think that was part of the problem with um, his when he was in the he was the daddy um, and his daddy boy relationships. I think he tried to compartmentalize the boys, mm-hmm. his relationship with his boys, a little bit too much. Um, and so now with his sir, the sir, and part of this is also because of COVID, it was a silver lining with COVID because suddenly we were in this small pod together. Mm -hmm. Um, and normally, you know, I'd be running around and he'd be doing his own thing. And, um, suddenly we're like stuck in an apartment together. So suddenly I had to, uh, shrink down to just a couple of fuck buddies, Mm -hmm. um, and, and the small little pod. And he was basically just with his sir and me. Um, and then, you know, because that was also true socially, the sir would come over, um, uh, and hang out with us, um, you know, probably once a week and we did Christmas and Thanksgiving together, you know, and, and suddenly he was sort of part of the family and it forced me to, um, loosen up as well and like accept the sir into the, into our family in a way that, um, I hadn't done or I hadn't been asked to do and hadn't done earlier with, with, uh, with my husband's boys. Wow. That's amazing. And do you ever play together with your, with your husband's sir? No. Um, and that just, for whatever reason, that doesn't feel right. Um, that feels like his territory and not appropriate. So, yeah. But again, you can still hang out and be friends. Yeah. Like there doesn't have to be this wall yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, I've come to really like him and really uh, respect him. And I think that's mutual. And, and I really love that he loves my husband so much. Yeah. Um, and, and that's very, very clear. Uh, another thing I would say is that uh, the sir is very good at, um, at communication. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, recently, fairly recently, or during the pandemic, um, he collared my husband. Uh, so my cu- husband wears, you know, the chain with the, the lock, but they needed to sort of bring me into that conversation. And so they actually wrote up an entire sort of, you know, contract of sorts for the two of them emotionally. But what does this, uh, what does this collar mean? Uh, what are the you know, responsibilities to, uh, involved with it? What are the sort of, you know, rights and, the, you know, uh, pleasures and everything? Um, and they wrote it all out, which is really amazing. And then they wrote me into it, you know, and specifically saying things like um, that, you know, this this relationship should never, you know, put in jeopardy or, or harm the primary relationship. Um, and basically then caught me to essentially countersign the, the contract where they both sat me down together. I had read the what they had written and um, we had a discussion about it. That is amazing. Isn't that cool? I fucking love that. <laughs> Oh my God. 
I think we might have to do a whole new interview. <laughs> 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 you know, just like for my larger project with, with video. Um, but what I love about this story is because this is a documentary project and it is based on real life. I feel like if this situation you're describing to me right now was dramatized in a movie, they would want to amp up the potential conflict between all the parties and show how something like this wouldn't work. And the people in it involved wouldn't be so sensitive as to draw up a contract and make sure everybody's on the same page, which sounds completely logical when you describe it. I feel like every triad yeah. in whatever form should probably do that. Yeah. Uh, but if if not write it out, but at least talk about it and 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 say exactly what the deal is. I, I don't know if you've listened to Mike's interview from this season um a couple of episodes back. He, he lives with his uh partners. They're a triad and he came into their relationship and and Mike had such a very clear idea about what his role was and and how it he related to them as a couple, mm-hmm. um, which it sounds like you guys have done that as well. And I just feel like that communication is so incredibly important if, yeah. if something like this is going to succeed, especially if it's during something like a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't want something to blow up. Mm-hmm. Um you want it to work and yeah. you guys, you, you guys found a way to make it work, Yeah, which, which is yeah. awesome, which is what adults do, you know? <laughs> um, You're calling me an adult. <laughs> yes. Thanks for sharing that. Um, would you say that that's the biggest thing that's happened since we last talked in terms of your sexual evolution? Yes. Uh, beyond that, I would say I just sort of continue to, uh, explore uh, different kinds of sex, and now you know again, you know further exploring my versatility, um, and also sort of my understanding of myself. I just turned fifty, and turning fifty is definitely a sense of okay. I I feel at the height of my powers. Um, the nice thing about gay male culture uh, in general is that there is a, a role for the daddy, right? For an older man, has a very has a very powerful role, you know, uh, socially and sexually in, in gay male culture, um, which is really wonderful. I remember when my mother turned, when she, when she got out of my, uh, her relationship with my evil ex-stepfather in her 60s, she, she felt invisible. But that's not true with gay male culture, luckily. It's wonderful. For whatever reason, my, my beard is still pretty dark. I've lost my head hair, but like my beard is still really dark. I'm waiting for my gray to come in. And I, <laughs> my father told me that it didn't come in for him until his mid fifties. So I can't wait for that. Cause that, that really brings the boys to the yard once you get the salt and pepper going. So <laughs> you got um, a little bit going a on in bit. the front there. You know, my husband has this big white stripe right down the Ooh, middle and it's, it's nice. sexy and it, the boys love it. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. But then also, you know, a, a growing sense of my own mortality and my own you know, amount of time on the planet and my own amount of time being sexual. Um, you know, I've got, what, 15 years left of really good pounded out sex. And, and you know, obviously people are sexual longer than that. And I've got great role models in San Francisco of older men being sec- having sexual lives and stuff. But, you know, there's definitely a sort of decline um, with what you can do and what and how people see you eventually, because, you know, the daddy role is different than the grampy role. And there's a part of me that's actually, oddly enough, looking forward to that, where sexuality and sex will become less a part of my life. It drives a lot of my time and a lot of my energy, and I, that's generally wonderful, but it's also can be sort of exhausting, and and there's other things I want to put my energy toward. Um, 
So part of me is almost looking forward to becoming less sexual as I get older. <laughs> um, but I also feel like I want to spend the next 10 years fucking the fuck out of all fucking fucks. <laughs> well, I can, you know? Yeah. You happen to live in a very good city for that. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so besides your sexual side and how you've evolved since we last spoke, tell me a little bit about your professional work. I know you've made a documentary. Tell us more mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, so I, I created, um, I, I produced a film called No Straight Lines, uh, the, um, the Rise of Queer Comic Books. And it's inspired by the book that I did, No Straight Lines, Four Decades of Queer Comics, which was a more comprehensive history of uh, LGBTQ plus comics um, uh, from the, you know, their inception in the late 1960s um, all the way to uh, the early 2010s. Um, and then the, the film picks up on that and um, uh, spotlights five pioneers, Alison Bechdel, Howard Cruz, Rupert Kennard, Mary Wings, and Jennifer Camper, and their artistic journeys and what they went through making queer comics back in the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, but I am um, now pivoting, now that that's out of the door, um, I'm now pivoting to a big book graphic memoir about my gay life in San Francisco. And I mix it with elements of queer San Francisco history. So I use these moments and um, um, I'm having different illustrators whose identities more closely align with the subject matters of those particular chapters do, do the illustrations. Um, and then I'm going to do a big sort of memoir about my own life in San Francisco to give everything context and structure. Um, so it'll be about 200 pages. I'll have to draw, you know, my own memoir stuff. I'll be writing and drawing. That'll be about 140 pages and about 60 pages of it will be, uh, these chapters that I write and other people draw. And those will be the historical Mm -hmm. sections. Yeah. 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 And I've got two years from the publisher to do this, um, which is a tight turnaround and I'm uh, nervous, (laughs) quite nervous and intimidated about it, but I'm also really excited. Um, I'm glad you'll so. gonna, you're going to have people helping you in some sections. Mm-hmm. That'll be yeah. a little lighter lift, but I yeah. know how much work it takes just to make one page. You've been doing your comic thing for a long time. Like, how long have you been in the comics industry? Um, I made my first comic back in uh, 2000, 2001. Okay. But of course, I you know um, uh, before that I went to art school, and before I, as a kid, you know, a precocious child, I used to draw all over the walls. So I mean, I've been drawing ever since I can remember. Um, I, I don't consider myself a particularly good visual artist. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Like I, I've got my moments, um, but I, I don't have a sort of natural flair at, at it that you know some of our friends do. Well, um, I I I debate that. You you have a visual style. I know a Justin comic when I see it. Thank you. And it's very sexy. You know how to draw men. I mean, I, I'm sure my listeners are going to want to check out your stuff because not only is it well executed, but it's very sexy and it often deals with um, topics that Fruit Bowl does. We have a lot of overlap. You You deal with issues of explicit gay sexuality and and not only that but how it interacts with people's lives and how it defines them or mm-hmm. or the roles that we play and and maybe challenging those roles not, not all of my work is is uh deals with sex or sexuality i mean i you know did you know travel stories i did uh, i've done all different kinds of you know, um, fantasy. I've done different genres, but I did do a series called Hard to Swallow with Dave Davenport, 
Um, uh, he, uh, each of us did half the book, and which which was a gay erotic series um, that ran for a number of years. And we, there's a collection of that material, and even in a lot, a lot of my other memoir work and other kinds of stuff, I deal with with gay sexuality for sure. Um, uh, it's funny. I, every semester, at some point, when I'm teaching my students, I come in with a big stack of erotic comics. Uh, and I slam it on the table in front of them, and I say, "You all should make pornography because sex, you know, sex, sexuality, and desire is one of the great profundities of the human existence, and one of the great mysteries. And we should be making great art about it. And uh, one of the problems is that bad art has been made about sex, and yes. we need to make good art. And especially if we are, if you're a queer person, a woman, a person of color, we should take agency." Um, with our own stories, our own sexual stories. And if you do that with authenticity, people will love you for it. It's a really, really important project to do in the world. And I think that's one of the things that that your uh, Fruitball, uh, Fruitball um, podcast does really well, is to sh- sort of, you know, show authentic stories about, about sex and sexuality. And, and we need to be doing that in uh, every kind of medium and pushing back against the sort of rising puritanical wave that's happening in our culture where, you know, sexual uh, art and erotic storytelling is being increasingly under fire. Uh, and it's, that's not acceptable. We need to push back against that um, because, you know, sex and sexuality and desire are intrinsic to being uh, human. So, you know, our lives are wrapped up in, in these sorts of concerns and we should be making great art about it. That's challenging and interesting. Do you have any interest in doing porn ever again to sort of document your body right now? It's a really interesting question. I, uh, yes, I could see that. Um, I recently connected with a guy in Fort Lauderdale and during pig week that I had an incredible connection with. And, uh, uh, he's, he's a porn star and, uh, the porn world's changed so much. It's, you know, so much about like what people do for themselves. It's democratized in really interesting ways. Yes. Um, but but I'm also quite wary of, how, especially for me who has boundary problems already, um, it can really swamp the rest of your life in an easy way. Where like, you know, when I was doing porn, like, okay, so Titan had a, you know, a, a page on their website with me, right? With And it had, you know, pictures of me and like, you know, stuff about me. But I didn't have to maintain that. I didn't have to interact with it. Now, you know, I would have to have a Twitter handle and an OnlyFans site and a blah, blah, blah. And you have to feed the beast constantly with new material. And, yes. and it, it, you know, where that bleeds into your normal sex life would get really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the past it was very like you go to a set and they, you know, the f- professional photographers shoot you and then you leave. And it was very distinct from the rest of your sex life. You're right. I have friends who do the OnlyFans thing. It, it is a constant source of, of distraction. They love it because it does feed into their ego and also yeah. it, it, it pays well and, mm-hmm. and they enjoy it, which I'm like, go you. Yeah. Um, but, but it is a little overwhelming sometimes, um, yeah. the amount of stuff they need to do constantly. Well, yeah. you know, I would welcome your return. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you're ever in need of a personal <laughs> director of photography and editor, Fabulous. I volunteer. Um <laughs> And just one more quick mm-hmm. quickie before we wrap up. If you could just briefly describe what Pig Week was and what are the activities of Pig Week, and I'm sure listeners would be curious about what that is. Yeah, I really liked it. It was um, unlike you know Folsom Street Fair and um, IML and stuff like that. Uh, International Mister Leather. It's fairly new and it hasn't really been 
gotten it's never done a lot of advertising, so um, mm. it's sort of been by word of mouth, and that's actually kind of nice. Nice. Uh, Fort Lauderdale is the land of the sexy daddies. It's just you know the, mm. it's the daddies roam the streets there, um, oh, and so it's sort of tailor made for this anyway. I would not have known that Fort Lauderdale was a daddy central. Oh, it's the Palm Springs of the East Coast. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, hmm. it's full on, dude. Seriously. Wow. Uh, and the bars there and the, and the bathhouses and the uh, clubs. I mean, it is impressive. Wilton Manors, which is the gay neighborhood, is really quite next level. I was, I was shocked. I didn't realize how awesome it was. Um, and, it, you know, basically it fills up with all these, these guys come from all over the country. You know, they have like um, clothing optional sexy hotels like in Palm okay. Springs. They've got those there. I stayed with some friends. Um, They have normal hotels there, obviously, as well, and Airbnbs and whatever. And then, you know, all the bars are just, you know, uh, hopping. And there's, you know, specific events that you get this sort of dog tag that you you can go between if you want to. But you can also just kind of show up at different places. And um, they have, you know, some extra spaces. There's some warehouses that they've turned into sex spaces with slings and all kind of stuff. And then also just the... You know the bars are hopping and the and the bathhouses and there's sex all over the place. It's it's a big bacchanalia. It's wonderful. Do you think that there's a different kind of sex that people are into at Pig Week? Like, how is the sex different at Pig Week than? Yeah, I think it's um uh, a it's much more sort of focused around group stuff, right? So okay. instead of like, I think a, a lot of a lot of situations like Pride and Bear Week. Um, it would be more like everybody sort of being flirty in big groups, but probably they're going to hook up and go off to their hotels, yeah. you know, uh, you know, with each, you know, maybe two of them or maybe, maybe a small group, but like, it's, it's a little more removed from, whereas the sex happens sort of at the events okay. itself. And it's, it's definitely more like front and center, if that makes sense. So, you know, the, the big dance party, for example, there was just fucking on the floor, during, okay. you know, people dancing, people fucking right mm-hmm. on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that kink is more sort of front and center. So okay. like, you know, it's just much more common to see people being fisted there than it would be at a pride party. Okay. Um, and finally, I would say that the diversity of bodies and ages was really nice. So mm. again, it, there's a sort of daddy focus that happens at, um, at, um, in, for, in a place like Fort Lauderdale or yeah. Palm Springs. And that's nice to see. Um, I saw, you know, just a diversity of, you know, ethnic diversity, age diversity, um, body types, which was nice. Again, that's, you know, more similar to a lot of the bear stuff. Um, but there were also, you know, skinny twinks, right? It was a full, right. a full range, which was right. really, really pretty cool. And some hot man. Oh, my God. Jeez. I bet. And did you find yourself gravitating towards any specific scene or were you kind of because your verse? I mean, you could really you could really make the rounds. I was bopping around. I was just nice. Yeah. Wallowing. (laughs) Sort of like a a buffet. Exactly. Enjoying the buffet. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. This sounds fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving us the inside scoop. Absolutely. Um, I guess if listeners want to find out more about it, they can just Google, Google, Google pig week for Lauderdale. That's right there. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for the update. Thank you, David, for everything you're doing here. It really it means a lot. Oh, thanks. I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't yeah. love it, and yeah. I do. But it's I love it because I get to talk to people like yourself who are so transparent and love <laughs> to describe everything in the best way. 
and lurid detail. I told you this in in chat. I I really think you're very good at at uh, descriptions and orienting people as to your point of view, and that that's gold when it comes to documentary filmmaking. So, mm. yeah. thank you so much. All right, you take care. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Getting Fresh. I'm Dave Quantic, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. Mixing for this episode provided by Dave Pesner. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.